Welcome to the Gateway Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through His Word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. Hey, hey. First, let me say thanks for watching this online. I know you've already seen the length of time for this particular sermon. And and so let me give you something to think about. What we're talking about today is God the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's role in our lives. It's in a really, really important message, but I know it's longer. This is long form. And you might need to break this message up into two messages. There are six points in this sermon. You're going to see Thursday night's message. It was the longest, and it was my favorite of all of them. Take the first three points as one sermon if you have to, then take the second three points and the ministry time as a separate message. But promise me, you won't just get through 20 or 30 minutes and go, yeah, I can't make it much longer because the second half of the message, you really need to get the first part. The second half really comes through. So I'm praying for you that the Holy Spirit would speak to you through this message and you would see the Spirit of God moving in and through you like never before. Thanks for joining us. Enjoy the message. We're continuing our series entitled First Love Again. We didn't change the title this week. We're sticking with that one. And week number one, we, we talked about loving God the Father. And if you weren't here for that, you need to go listen to that one. Then the second week, we talked about loving God the Son. If you weren't here for that, that was one of my favorite messages. The Lord's let me preach in a really long time. That, that was a fun one. You need to go watch it if you weren't here. This week, we're talking about loving God the Holy Spirit. And if you got a Bible, I want you to turn to John chapter 16, put a marker in Romans 8. We're going to kind of go back and forth. Very, very important passages for this message. And as you're turning there, let me give you one of my favorite one-liners that so far in my career the Lord has given me. And it just so happens to be about the Holy Spirit. Because it helps us understand and put in perspective what I believe. I believe that there is a war on the earth going on that we can't see over the moving of the Holy Spirit in the church and in the life of every believer. I believe there's a war over it. Absolutely do. And so here's the one-liner. If I were your enemy, I would do everything I possibly could to keep you away from Jesus before salvation. But I would also do everything I could possibly do to keep you away from the Holy Spirit after salvation. And this message is going to help some of us not just be reminded of why, but maybe for the first time ever. And just hearing me say, we're going to talk about God, the Holy Spirit. I know going off the odds, the percentages, a couple of people in this room completely flinched and tried to hide it. Really? I've been in church in like months and this is what he's talking about? The weirdy weird part of the Godhead? Okay, you're going to see. I'm going to show you something I haven't ever seen before that I I saw in scripture this week. But let's calibrate our minds and our hearts with how important the Holy Spirit is by going back to words Jesus himself spoke in John 16 about how important the Holy Spirit is. John 16 verse 5, Jesus said, but now I'm going away to the one who sent me. And not one of you is asking, he's speaking to his disciples, not one of you is asking where I'm going. Instead, you grieve because of what I've told you. So get the picture. They're sad, they're confused, they're frustrated because Jesus is again saying, I gotta go. I've got to go. Then watch what Jesus says next. But in fact, it is best for you that I go away. Because if I don't, the advocate, capital A, the Holy Spirit, Paracletos, the Holy Spirit won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. Now, get the picture here. Imagine, just just put yourself in the disciples' shoes. Imagine what they were thinking. They've watched him bring people back from the dead. They've watched him feed thousands of people with crumbs. The key to Every victory they are trying to conceive in their minds and hearts involves Jesus being there with them. And Jesus says to them, I got to go. I must go. And then he says, and it's actually better for you that I go. And I just wonder if one of the disciples didn't just go. 
It's better for us that you go? Easy for you to say, you're the one leaving. I wonder if that's what they were thinking. But Jesus was saying what he was saying. It's better for you that I go. I think there are two things that he says in John chapter 14, verse 16. So if you're in John 16, go back to John 14. It's one verse. Jesus brings up two really important things that we're going to talk about them before we even get into the meat of the message. Jesus says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate, helper in the original language, who will never leave you. Okay, let's, let's break both of these down because this is really important. This is Jesus saying, hey, it's better for you that I go. Okay, why? Tell us why. I think John 14, 16 tells us two of the biggest reasons why it's better that Jesus go. Let me give you the press and paraphrase. Jesus is saying to his disciples, hey, guys, listen. When I laid aside temporarily all of my divine benefits, leaving the right hand of the Father to come to earth, fully man, fully God, but fully man, you need to understand I allowed myself to be limited in some really major areas. And one of those areas is my omnipresence. Fully man, I can't be everywhere at all times. And so it's actually better for you that I go. Because here's the problem. If I stay with you, the only way you can be with me is if you are everywhere I am. But if I go and I send the Holy Spirit, who is omnipresent, he will be with you everywhere you go. Jesus says, this is a huge deal. This helper, the father will allow me to send, will not ever leave you. This is one of the big reasons Jesus said, this is why I gotta go. But the other thing Jesus says, he says, I will pray to the father and he will send another helper to you another advocate. Okay, this word, another. In the original language, in the Greek, there are two major words typically used for the word, our word, another. Okay? And one is alos, and one is heteros. Okay? Heteros and alos. Heteros means completely different, but the same. And I'll explain in a minute. Alos means completely the same, but different. Okay, let me, let me illustrate this, all right? Let's say you needed a new pair of shoes. And out in the lobby, someone overhears you say, I really need a new pair of shoes. And they come up to you uh, and with 30-year-old ratty, stinky, fungus-filled shoes... And they say, hey, I couldn't help but over here, you said you needed new shoes. I'd like to give you my shoes. What size are you? I'm a 12. <laughs> what a coincidence. So am I. And they take their stinky, fungus-filled shoes, and they hand them to you. Okay? Now, you need a pair of shoes. What are you going to do? Most likely, you're going to throw those shoes away without telling them. And you're going to go buy another pair of shoes. The same, but completely different. Shoes, same, but complete. You are not buying that stinky, fungus-filled pair of shoes. That's heteros. Think about heterosexual. Someone who is in love with someone, the same, but completely different. Male, female. Get it? Okay. Now let's talk about another alos. This is the word Jesus used. He didn't use heteros. He used alos, parakletos. This is what Jesus is saying. And I, I especially think he's saying this to everybody who uses the excuse, I'm down with the Father, I'm down with Jesus, but the Holy Spirit is just flat weird. I, I literally think that Jesus went on record in John 14, 16 and said, the Father will send you alos Paracletos, another helper. Let's go back to the shoes. Let's illustrate alos. You buy a brand new pair of amazing shoes. You go out into the lobby. Someone comes up to you and says, 
hey, I really like your shoes. And you feel the Holy Spirit quicken you to give them your shoes. So you say, what size are your shoes? They say 12. You say, ha, ah, what a coincidence. Ladies, by the way, you have a big foot without 12, okay? <laughs> they say 12, what a coincidence. I'm a 12. You start taking your brand new shoes off. I want to give these to you. And they say, no, no, no. I don't want to take your shoes from you. And you say, no, it's okay. I'd really like to give these to you. I'm going to buy another pair. You're not going to buy that pair, the same pair, but you are going to buy the exact same pair. A different one than that, but the exact same pair. Because you like those. Do so you see what I'm saying? Jesus says, and remember what we talked about last week, Jesus came to show us the Father. And Jesus went on record and said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now we're seeing this week, Jesus says, hey, if you're down with me, you're good with the Holy Spirit. Because he is alos parakletos. He is another, same essence, exactly like me, different person. That's filthy right there. That's just nasty. Jesus says, this is why it's good that I go. Now, this message is going to answer the question. We've got to get into six points. I'm already a couple minutes behind. We're going to have to fly through this, okay? Six points. Everyone start praying in the Holy Ghost right now uh, that we're not here till midnight, okay? This, this message is going to answer the question. What does the Holy Spirit do? Again, not an exhaustive list, but I'm going to give you six biggies, all right? Point number one, he convicts us when we don't even know we're wrong. That's handy in marriage, isn't it? He convicts us when we don't even know we're wrong. Keep going in verse 8 of John 16. And when he, the Holy Spirit, comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness. So the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin, will convict the world of God's righteousness, and convict the world of the coming judgment. Here's one of the biggest reasons why we need, desperately need, the Holy Spirit moving in our church. Because no amount of preaching, pleading, ministering, or counseling will ever be able to cause someone to feel convicted of their sin. Apart from the Holy Spirit, it's literally impossible. Without the Holy Spirit, no one will ever get saved in this church because they will never be convicted of their sin and therefore Feel the need. Become aware they must be saved. Okay? This is a big deal. We've got to have the Holy Spirit moving. Because one of the things the Holy Spirit does is convict the world of sin. Without the work of the Holy Spirit to expose our sinful condition, we would remain eternally lost and without or separate from God. Now remember, Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that a lost person... When I was lost, I was dead in my trespasses and sin, right? Okay. Question. Do dead people feel anything? Okay. The spiritually dead do not have the ability inherently to feel conviction of their sin. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. Uh -huh. Why would we ever shut him down? If you want people to get saved, you, you better be hoping the Holy Spirit will move in a way you've never seen before because the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin. Now, how does that usually go? I don't have time to really go through this, so don't hammer me, but, but I'll personalize it. Basically, it goes like this. Preston, this is God. He is perfect, completely righteous. This is you. You're an absolute failure. Look at all the things you've done wrong. Look at all this. And this is just the past and present sins, Preston. If you only knew all the future ones coming. Okay? Convicts me of my sin and of God's righteousness. But he doesn't stop there because God doesn't just forgive us of our sins. If God just forgave me of my sins, I still couldn't stand in his presence because I would be a pardoned criminal. So he doesn't just forgive us of our sins. I won't get too complicated theologically. I'll explain it the layman's way in case somebody's here that's never heard it before. God, the perfect judge, 
says, and I'll personalize it, Preston, if you'll receive what Jesus did for you, dying on the cross for your sin in your place, here's what I'll do. I will take all of the perfect good things, all of the righteousness in Jesus' category, in, in his ledger, and I will swap them for all of the nasty, ugly things you've done, are doing, or ever will do. How about that deal? <laughs> Sign me up. Sign me, this is what he does. But I, I'm going to say something that might, might surprise some of you. I don't see in Scripture the Bible saying that the Holy Spirit convicts believers of their sin. He convic convicts the lost of their sin. I don't believe the Holy Spirit convicts believers of their sin. And I'm just letting this sit so some of y'all can think I'm an absolute heretic. I'm not a heretic. Because it's way worse than the Holy Spirit convicting us of our sin. I believe the Holy Spirit convicts believers of their righteousness. Think about it. The Bible says, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. As a son of God, here's what that means. That to God, I am righteous. All of my wrongdoing has been forgiven. I am righteous. So that bad feeling I feel, Preston, because I'm a believer, a bad feeling that I feel when I do something wrong, that's not the Holy Spirit convicting me of sin. No, I think it's way worse than that. It's the Holy Spirit convicting you of your righteousness, your right standing with God. Let me show you a verse, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. Some of you know this verse. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Your translation might say grieve. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit, speaking to believers, by the way you live. Remember when you were growing up and you learned the valuable truth that it's better for your parent to say, I am so mad at you than it is for them to say, I'm so disappointed in you. Like, kill me now. I don't want to disappoint. See, when we first get saved, we're still kind of trained because we were convicted of our sin. That's what we know, but we're, we don't fully understand our right standing with the Father. The only thing more difficult for me than getting mad at me about my wrongdoing is being disappointed in me that as righteousness, as a righteous one declared by God, my identity is righteous. The only thing worse than getting mad at me about my wrongdoing is being disappointed in me that I've just done something that was contrary to my identity in Christ. I wish I still lived in the day where I was ignorant to my right standing with the Father. Because then I'd be like, just get mad at me for what I did. Instead of, like this last week, Preston, that was not the moment for that. That was your flesh. That was you taking matters into your own hands. And that wasn't me. You just moved in a way that is contrary with who you are in Christ. Are you getting it? Hear me. I'm not saying the Holy Spirit comes when I do wrong and goes, ah, no big deal. I would never say that. I'm saying it's way worse than that. It's Preston. Why are you going back to the pig pen? You know your father isn't in the pig pen. You are in right standing with the father. Why go back to the pig pen? That's contrary to who you are. And it grieves me, the Holy Spirit says. Here's the second point. He affirms we are God's children, especially when we feel like earth's orphans. Don't you love how wordy these points are? He affirms we are God's children, especially when we feel like earth's orphans. We've been talking about this for two weeks. This point right here. If you put a marker in, in Romans 8, flip over there. Romans 8, chapter, uh, verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. We're going to circle back around to that. That's an important verse. 
Verse 15, so you have not received the spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Talking about our salvation. Now we call him Abba, Father. Galatians 4 says, now the Holy Spirit causes us or prompts us to call out Abba, Father. Verse 16, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. Okay, so much here. I can't even hit it all, but let's try a little bit of it, all right? Okay, first, let's take somebody uh, in this room who has not spent time alone with God in a couple months. Okay, friends talking about at the beginning of the year. Yeah, my, my quiet time with the Lord just been incredible. I'm fasting, I'm doing this stuff. And you just, you haven't spent time alone with the Lord in months and months. And here, here is what can typically happen if we don't understand the father heart of God. The reason that person, one of the reasons possibly that they aren't going back in to spend time alone with the father is because they have the mentality of a fearful slave. Preston, how do I know I have the mentality of a fearful slave? If you think you're going to go into God's presence when you've been out of it for a couple of months, thinking he's going to be angry with you, and the first words out of his mouth are, what in the Sam Hill? Where have you been? That's how they talk in Texas, by the way. (laughs) If you think that's how the father's going to respond, scripture would say you have the mentality of a fearful slave. Isn't it amazing, though, that Romans 8 says, He hasn't given us a spirit of a fearful slave. Okay, so what does that mean then? What's so powerful about Romans chapter 8? Reminds us at salvation, God the Father adopted us and set his spirit inside of us. And one of the things the Holy Spirit does is prompt us to call out Abba, which means daddy. In Hebrew, Abba, Father. Let that just sink in for a second. Let it just sink in. He put his spirit inside of you when he adopted you. Well, Preston, what does that mean if I'm the person who hasn't spent time with the Lord in months and months? It means when you go back in, which I pray it's tonight before you go to bed, and you'll see why I want it to be tonight, not to make things right, because you just want to get in, you're going to want to get in on this conversation he's been one to have with you. If we've not been given a spirit of a fear, fearful slave, but as sons and daughters of God most high, here's what it means. When I haven't been alone in the presence of the Lord for months and months, it means when I go back in, I'm not going to hear, what's wrong with you, you little orphan? I'm going to hear, son, hey, welcome back in, my guy. There's so much I've wanted to say to you. Let's just spend some time talking. Preston, that seems too good to be true. That's how you know you're starting to understand just a sliver of who our God is. Because I haven't been given as a son of God a spirit of a fearful slave. I have the Holy Spirit set inside of me that prompts me to say, Abba, Father. Now, this is the only time in Romans 8 that Paul uses the word pneuma to describe something other than the Holy Spirit. In that last verse, Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, His pneuma, His Spirit, capital S, affirms or comes together, locks in, dials in, comes into agreement, and my Spirit. What does that mean? Well, it's connected to the Spirit of adoption. Let me give you the press and paraphrase. Press in, there are going to be times where you do not feel worthy of being my son. I know you. I made you. And you have some issues, kid. And you're going to look some days at a, a mistake during a ministry moment. And you're going to get into your truck. You're going to fall asleep. You're going to wake up in the morning. It's still going to be bugging you. You're going to have this tiny little thought I'm just not worthy. And so, I've already taken care of that. When I adopted you as my son, I put my spirit inside of you. And my spirit affirms, comes into agreement with yours, and reminds you, you are my son. 
even when you don't believe it, Preston, I put my spirit inside of you as a check mark to say, that's my son. Even when your mouth isn't saying it and your mind isn't thinking it, my spirit is inside of you always saying it because I adopted you and you're my boy. But it doesn't stop there. Verse 17. And if we are his children, then we are his heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. This word heirs means those who receive their allotted possession by right of sonship. How about that biblical definition? As heirs, children of God, we are those who receive our allotted possession by right of sonship. But it doesn't just say we're heirs of God in Romans 8, 17. It says we're joint heirs with Christ. Remember last week in the message when we kind of got on that theological run, the son is obsessed with the father, the father is obsessed with the son, and the father is just as obsessed with you as he is with the son. Remember that part? My favorite part of a message in several years, okay? We're about to have one of those moments right here. We're not just his children. The Bible says we are God's heirs, but we aren't just God's heirs. It gets even more clear. We are joint heirs with Christ. Here's what that means. His inheritance is my inheritance. Hebrews chapter one, verse two. What is Jesus' inheritance? God promised everything to the son as an inheritance. Here's the one-liner. What Jesus received by divine right, we receive by divine grace. (laughs) The father is as obsessed with me as he is with the son, but it doesn't stop there. The father gives me, his children, the same inheritance he gives the son. Tell me what you have to be grumpy about. That's your inheritance. Everything that is his has been given to me. If it belongs to Jesus as an inheritance, it belongs to God's children because we are joint heirs with Christ. Here's point number three. He leads us when we don't know which way to go. Now we're going to start picking up the pace. These first two were a little more in the identity realm. We're going to have to fly through these next couple. He leads us when we don't know which way to go. I want to know one of my favorite things about God. He doesn't drive his sheep. He leads them. Big difference. He's not a slave driver. He's a guide. John 16, 13. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you, Jesus says, into all truth. Let me just throw out there so you understand what a big deal it is. I'll personalize as the senior pastor of this church that I be led by the Spirit. I wrote this down. I felt like this is what the Lord said for me this week in regards to being led by the Spirit. A Preston who is not led by the Spirit can only build and steward a castle of conceit and a move of the flesh rather than the kingdom of God, the bride of Christ, and a move of the Spirit. That's gangster right there. It was just for me. But you need to understand, it's important that I, we, all be led by the Spirit. Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah 30, helps us understand what this kind of looks like. And though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, in other words, things are going to be hard, yet your teacher will not hide himself anymore. But your eyes shall see your teacher, and your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. The Mandalorian stole that. This is the way. See, everybody steals from the Bible. This is the way, walk in it, when you turn to the right or to the left. Okay, I got to fly through this, but the best way for me to illustrate being led by the Spirit is the difference between an app called Waze and Google Maps. Anybody use Waze? Okay, Google Maps, I put in my destination, and it gives me one, two, or three options usually about how to get somewhere, okay? It doesn't tell me that there's traffic if the traffic happens after I put in my destination, you know? And I'm a good driver. I'm not looking at my phone. All my friends know that's not necessarily true, but that's the way Google Maps works, okay? Waze, on the other hand, I put in my destination. It gives me like two options. I pick one, but here's the best part about Waze. It's real-time redirecting. So if an accident happens after I put in my destination 
and traffic slows down to a complete stop on the 101. Waze will immediately redirect me around the traffic without me having to do anything. Okay, Waze is the app equivalent of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Many of us, when, all of us, when we're not led by the Spirit, here's what it's like. We wake up in the morning and we say, I feel like this is my destination. I'm supposed to go to work. I have these meetings and I'm coming back home. Put in, put in the destination, boop, 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 go, come back. Wake up the next day, do it all again. Being led by the Spirit goes like this. First thing in the morning, Holy Spirit, this is my calendar for the day. I think this is what I'm supposed to accomplish. But here's what I'd like to say. You know better than me. So would you take the right to real-time redirect me all throughout my day? And I may need to leave a meeting to go to the bathroom and bump into somebody in the bathroom that you lead me to give a word to. And in the bathroom, in the stall next to me, they give their life to Jesus. Wouldn't that be a miracle? Okay? Hey, every day of our lives, we were meant to be led by the Spirit. This is what Galatians chapter 5, verse 25 says. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Not just, with, not just with the big decisions, every part of our lives. When was the last time before you went into a meeting, you just stopped, paused, and said, Holy Spirit, would you fill me up? And would you direct my steps, direct my words while I'm in this meeting? I just wonder if the Holy Spirit dwelling on the inside of me, when I do that, doesn't just go. <laughs> He's not being stubborn right now. I'm about to move through him and it's going to affect him and him and them simply because he's yielding. He's admitting he doesn't know the best way to get. I've told you this before. It's my favorite thing about God's blueprint for the ark. There was no steering wheel. There wasn't supposed to be one. Noah didn't know where he was going. Neither did he know how to get there. Okay, that's a reminder for me every day of my life. My life, when I gave it to Jesus, no longer has a steering wheel I can reach. It doesn't exist. I must therefore be led by the Spirit of God in every area of my life. Romans 8, 14 gives us one of the essential responsibilities of being a child of God. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. An essential responsibility of a child of God is being led by the Holy Spirit. And if you need an even better case than that, let me just say, the most holy moments in life will always be led by the Holy Spirit. It's one of the things I'm praying for this year. Many, 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 many holy moments in our services when we go downtown, when we serve others with students in every children's room, the most holy moments. Let me say it another way. Every holy moment is the result of the Holy Spirit leading in my life. We were made to be led by the Spirit. Wish I could show you more. I had to cut a bunch out. We're already behind. Let's get to point number four. This will be a quick one. The Holy Spirit produces fruit in and through us, which we cannot fake. The Holy Spirit produces fruit in and through us, which we cannot, absolutely positively cannot fake. Galatians 5, and 23, but the Holy Spirit produces. Preston doesn't. Preston cannot. The Holy Spirit produces. This kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Can't spend a lot of time on this point, but let me tell you another reason why we desperately need the Holy Spirit to move in our church. Because only the Holy Spirit produces love, joy, peace. So let me say it another way. Want to know what our church would look like if and when the Holy Spirit is no longer moving among us? It's the opposite of every one of these fruits because that's what the flesh can produce. So our church would look like this. Hate, depression, fear, impatience, meanness, evil, unfaithfulness, harshness, and a place where anything goes, everybody does whatever they want. Anybody want to sign up for that church? If you say yes, 
I'd like to meet you after the service and we can talk and pray, okay? You don't want to be a part of that kind of church and I don't want to lead it. My illustration for this was I love popcorn. This is just a, a sweet little reminder about the why behind the fruit of the spirit. I love me some popcorn, okay? A little bit of melted butter and some salt, maybe a lot of salt, you know? But I've learned that there's one kind of popcorn I despise. I love popcorn. I love caramel corn. I love kettle corn. I love spicy. When I was a kid, I called popcorn. Spicy popcorn. There's one kind of popcorn I absolutely despise. You know what kind of popcorn it is? It's the popcorn on a string on Christmas trees at Christmas. You want to know why I hate it? Because you can't eat it. Popcorn was meant to be eaten, not to be admired. Let me apply this. He already knows where I'm going to the fruit of the spirit. The fruit of the spirit was meant to be eaten by the people in our lives for the glory of the father. Not for the admiration of man. Here's a great one-liner. Fruit my flesh produces points people to me. Fruit the Holy Spirit produces points people to Jesus. We need the Holy Spirit moving in our church because we want the fruit only the Holy Spirit can produce in this church. And we want every person who comes here to encounter Holy Spirit fruit, not human flesh fruit. Here's the fifth thing. The Holy Spirit gives us power when we don't have what we need to pull it off. And this is a good one. They're all good. I love this one. Because you don't always have the power you need to pull off what God has created you to do. Acts 1.8, Luke 24.49. These are passages that connected the Holy Spirit and power. So that we would never forget Acts 1.8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Jesus in Luke 24, 49 said, and now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my father promised, but stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. Okay, when people ask me, Preston, do we really need the things of the Holy Spirit the way the first century church did? Like, is it as necessary now as it was then? And here's what I would say. Do we need power? Like if I go to your house, are you rocking candles in every room? You've already answered the question for me. The mere fact you have electricity running through every room in your house lets me know you appreciate power. So my answer is we absolutely need the Holy Spirit. Because without him, where's the power going to come from? Some of us have built up this dogmatic doctrine that the Holy Spirit is weird and I'm in no need of him. And Jesus shut all that down and said, he's just like me, only different, but he's just like me. Zechariah 4 verse 6, and if you're wondering, there is a lot of scripture in this message because I'm just obsessed with this book and we're going to do a whole week on the word of God. Zechariah 4, verse 6, a scripture the Lord gave me years ago that means a lot to me to remind me on the days when I felt weak in this line of work. This is what the Lord says to Zerubbabel. That's what I call myself, Zerubbabel. It is not by force nor by strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Preston, your power ain't going to get this done. You can't. So don't try. It is only by my spirit. The more power you need, son, the more you need to be led and filled. I don't have enough time, but scripture literally doesn't just say be filled. It's an ongoing word. Be being filled with the Holy Spirit, Preston. Daily, constantly, be being filled. Okay, so what does the Holy Spirit give me the power to do? Very quickly, here's two things. This is definitely not all the things. First, the Holy Spirit gives me the power to put to death sinful things. 
Go back to Romans 8, verse 12. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, speaking to believers, you have no obligation, Preston, to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. If there's an area of bondage that you're experiencing and you just can't seem to give victory in that area of your life, here's what Scripture says. Stop trying to do it in your strength and just do it in His. Just do it in this. I can't stop doing that. I can't stop saying that. I can't stop looking at that. Sure, in your own flesh. It's going to be impossible. But how does a raging alcoholic for over four decades of life immediately, immediately, that first snap was a bad snap. Immediately, after over 40 years of drunkenness, how does that person never ever have a, an even a tiny little desire on his taste bud to drink again. Somebody who was drunk by 9 a.m. some days. I'll tell you how. The power of the Holy Spirit. I watched a miracle. He couldn't do it in his own strength. He was trying all kinds of stuff. And then he gave up. And the Holy Spirit stepped in and said, I'll take that drink. Get drunk on me now. That's a whole nother message, okay? <laughs> we'll get to that, okay? Here's the second thing. The Holy Spirit gives us the power to do. The power to do what we're called to do. Luke 4, 14, then Jesus returned to Galilee. This is after the temptation, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. You know what's always bothered me about that moment in Christ's life? It was the Holy Spirit that led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Scripture plainly states it. The Holy Spirit led Jesus. Now my flesh hates it, but the Son in me loves it because my Jesus went in and shut that little Satan down. Then Jesus comes out of the wilderness and the Bible says, now remember, what's he going to do? After his baptism and his temptation, what's he going to do? His ministry. His three-year run of ministry on the earth. And here's the last verse before he goes to do it. And Jesus came out of the wilderness filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. It makes me wonder if Jesus needed the power of the Holy Spirit to pull off everything the Father sent him to do. What makes you or I think we are not in need of the same power of the Holy Spirit to pull off what the Father has sent us to do. The Holy Spirit gives us the, I can't do this. I prove it all the time. Prove it all the time. I can't do this in my own strength. I've never done this before. It doesn't make me weak or stupid. It just makes me. It puts me in a position. I have to be reliant on the power of the Holy Spirit. I must be led by the Holy Spirit. There's no other way this is going to work. So if you're having trouble overcoming an area of besetting sin, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Remember, remember David? I don't have enough time. I'm already over time. Remember King David? Samuel pours the horn of oil over his head. And what does scripture say? The Holy Spirit came upon David at that moment as a teenager in power from that day forward. In other words, the answer to the question, one of the answers to the question, why is King David Israel's favorite king? One of the answers to that question is because when he was anointed king as a teenager, the Holy Spirit came upon him in power. How did Goliath go down? It wasn't just a rock. How'd the lion go down? It wasn't just his bare hands. The power of the Holy Spirit so for those of you who love Psalms and you love King David, but you think the Holy Spirit is weird, you have a problem. <laughs> you love you some Jesus, but you think the Holy Spirit is outdated and the weird uncle at the Thanksgiving reunion, you got a problem. The Holy Spirit gives us power to put to death sinful things. 
the Holy Spirit helps us, gives us the power to pull off what the Father sent us to do. Tell me how that's bad. Tell me how that's weird. Here's the last thing and we'll be done. Point number six, the Holy Spirit helps us pray when we have no idea what to say. One of my favorite things about the Holy Spirit. Back in Romans 8, verse 26, and the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. Press in those moments when you're down, you have no idea what to do. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father, who knows all hearts, knows what the, fa- what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. Don't have a ton of time, but let me just explain it like this. When was the last time you went to France and heard someone speaking French at the restaurant, got up from your table disgusted and said, what is wrong with you? Well, never, Preston. That's right, because you understand that a citizen of a country or a kingdom always has a local language. In France, they speak French. Right? In Mexico, this is a trick question, they speak Spanish. The Bible says, I'm a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Then why would anyone ever think it's weird that as a citizen of a supernatural place that I would have a supernatural language? It's not weird in France, nor is it weird in God's kingdom. I won't disagree with you from time to time. Every once in a while, something weird can be done in the name of the Holy Spirit. I've said this to you before, I'll say it again. That's not because the Holy Spirit is weird, it's because that person is weird. (laughs) That's the silly way. Here's the serious way. They might be learning. They might be in a newly developing relationship, intimacy with the Holy Spirit. Cut them some slack. If, if you learned French, you didn't know the entire language in one day. We're citizens of heaven as children of God. And there is a local language. Here's another way to say it. It is only natural that a citizen of a supernatural place, that as a citizen of a supernatural place, I should have a supernatural language. 1 Corinthians 14, 2, if you're a little weirded out by speaking in tongues, praying in tongues. 1 Corinthians 14, 2 says, he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to man, but to God. If you think praying in tongues is weird, my very simple question, I don't blame you, and I don't think you're weird. I get it. I used to, too, until I understood the Bible. If you think praying in tongues, praying in the Holy Spirit is weird, The Bible says, when I pray in the Spirit, pray in my supernatural language, that I'm not talking to man, I'm talking to God. Please help me understand how that's weird. And let me just tell you how many thousands of times as the pastor of this church, I've gotten into a situation and I had no earthly idea what to pray. Over my kids, over my marriage, over your marriage, over your kids, over this church, over the future, over a big decision. Is there any among us who knows exactly what God wants us to pray at all times for all people in every situation? Please put your hand up. And that's why. God goes on record, Romans 8, and says, Preston, there are going to be a lot of days where you have no idea. And there are some things I want you to pray. So I want you to yield your mouth to me. (laughs) You might find this crazy. You know one of the best ways that I learned how not just to preach a message, but to get a message from God 
and speak it. Praying in the spirit, yielding my tongue. It's one of the biggest ways my tongue learned how not to say what I shouldn't say and say more of what he leads me to say. So here's what we're going to do. I told you every weekend, with every message, we're going to have a time of repentance. I just want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Don't want you to feel any pressure at all. No one's going to be calling you out. Promise. But first, just right where we are, seated. Here's what we're going to do. If we have what the Bible calls quenched the Holy Spirit, 1 Thessalonians 5.19, do not quench the Holy Spirit. Do not shut off. Do not keep at a distance. If any of us are guilty of quenching the Spirit at any time here lately, let's just repent right where we are. That's all of us, by the way. None of us have been 100% led by the Spirit at all times, in all situations, with all people. So let's just repent. Holy Spirit, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I, I kind of put you on the back burner for a season. I'm sorry that I've been walking into meetings, not even talking to you, not even asking for your power, your empowerment. I'm sorry I've been making some decisions without being led by you. Holy Spirit, I'm sorry. Maybe it's Holy Spirit, I'm sorry for thinking you were weird all this time. And now I just learned not only are you not weird, I've got to have you operating in my life all day, every day. Holy Spirit, would you forgive me? And now, and maybe you've never seen this before, never been a part of it, we talked last week about there being three baptisms. Holy Spirit baptizes us into Jesus at salvation. And we are born in the Spirit in that moment. And we're water baptized. But then there's a third baptism. Jesus baptizes us in the Holy Spirit. That's exactly what John the Baptist said as the forerunner. One who is greater than me is coming, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Here's what's awesome about, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, about your daddy. I'll read it to you. Luke 11, verse 13. If you, being evil parents, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? I want to do two things. First, I just want to take a moment. And if you want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, I think it's one of Jesus' favorite things. That's why he said to his disciples, hey, don't leave that room. Don't leave that place until the Holy Spirit comes upon you in power. I'm going so I can send him, but don't leave until he comes upon you. Maybe you've never prayed in the Spirit before. In other words, every prayer you've ever prayed has been in a language you understood. It's really easy. Scripture says the Father loves to give the Holy Spirit to his children when they ask. So if you'd like to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, every head is bowed, every eye is closed. I promise we're wrapping up. If you'd say, I want to be baptized in the Spirit. I want Jesus to baptize me in the Holy Spirit. Would you just put your hand up? I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Thank you, Jesus. Anybody else? You can put your hand down. I love it.
It's going to be really simple. I'm going to ask every one of God's children who has been baptized in the Holy Spirit, just right there, it can be in your heart or just quietly under your breath. doesn't need to be loud where it draws any attention to you. But I'd ask every child of God who's been baptized in the Holy Spirit and prayed in the Holy Spirit before, I'm going to ask you just right there in your heart or quietly just to begin praying in the Spirit. It's one of the ways I always let the Holy Spirit know you're welcome in this place. I'm yielding to you. Then for those who raised their hands and said, I want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, Jesus, will you baptize me in the Holy Spirit? This is not going to be complicated or hard. You just have to ask the Father. Father, I want the Holy Spirit active and operating in my everyday life. I want to be being filled with your Holy Spirit. Jesus, would you baptize me in the Holy Spirit? You need to say that right now. Jesus, will you baptize me in the Holy Spirit? And here's what I want you to do. It's going to be a little bit of a stretch because you've never done it before. But remember, in France, they speak French. In the kingdom, they speak kingdom. The supernatural kingdom has a supernatural language. Paul did it all the time. But here's where we get caught up. We think that yielding our tongues means the Holy Spirit takes over our tongue and does the work for us. It's not what the Bible says. The Holy Spirit gives the words, it is man's mouth that does the talking. And I remember the first time my dad prayed with me to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. I had no idea what I was supposed to do or say. And my dad said, just begin praying words you don't understand. You're hearing them, but it's okay. You might be a little confused. You're not sure what's what. It's okay. But the Holy Spirit's speaking right now to every person in this room and wants to speak through them and pray through you. And I remember as a little boy, the first words out of my mouth, I said, kumbaya. Because <laughs> that was the only word of a song I didn't understand. And I think the Lord had a sweet little giggle. That's my boy. You're trying keep going and I did just right now just begin to pray with words you don't understand Holy Spirit would you move in this place right now you're so present and you want to fill every one of us up and there are many in this room you want to give a supernatural language to. Holy Spirit, would you release their tongues from doubt? Would you release their tongues from confusion? Would you release their tongues to be used by you? give it a minute. And it's okay if it doesn't happen right now. Don't put pressure on yourself. You don't learn the entire French language in a moment. But it's amazing when I just say, Holy Spirit, I want to talk to my daddy in a way that my human mouth and my English language can't do justice. So I yield, and then he gives me words, and I don't know what I'm saying, but I know I'm talking to God.
Holy Spirit, this room is filled with people who want to talk to the Father in a way they never have. Would you move in this place? Spirit, thank you for being here. And I know for every person in this place, as they leave today, you're going to keep talking. I pray you would empower every one of them to do what the Father sent them here to do. I pray for, for power from on high. And I pray for a new measure of intimacy with words that earthly languages will never do justice. Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Have a great week.